Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 80, Not the Father He Needs. This week we're discussing series 6, episode 3 of Doctor Who, The Curse of the Black Spot, and season 1, episode 11 of Angel, Somnambulist. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Uh, Doctor Who, the curse of the black spot. <laughs> uh, good old well said. Jolly Roger and fun piratey stuff. Channel your going inner on in this. Johnny Depp or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, different Captain Jack. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is... Uh, Wouldn't that be great so, if they had Captain Jack in this episode? Oh, that would have made this episode so much better. Been, that would have oh, been fantastic. Man. Missed yeah. opportunity. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, it is what it is. It is. <laughs> so um, I think you said you had a few notes sort of up front. Um, not sure what you may have. Hopefully something good, because I don't know how good the rest of it will be. All right. Well, let's set this up a bit. Um, and <laughs> I'll try to take was... up a little bit of time, because we don't not actually... To, not to prejudice the listeners in any way, shape, or form as to what I... I... may have prejudiced you before even watching yeah. this episode, so... I... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, although I feel like... I feel like it's happened a couple times that one of us... Uh, admits to not feeling too positive on, a, on an episode, and then the other one doesn't necessarily totally agree and kind of defends mm. it. So I don't think we're unable to see past each other's. No, I don't, opinions. and I don't. I don't want to apply that I hated it because actually there were some parts that I did like. So I think sure. we can work through it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I would point out like beer bad as maybe one of those episodes where we did find some redeeming qualities in it. So. Sure. Uh, maybe maybe we can do that with this one as well. Yeah, and well, and this was not as bad as beer bad. So no no um, it's not. So let's yeah let's talk about it. Um, or I wonder if if it's. I just thought of C.S. Lewis like in in what does its badness consist? Um, like <laughs> I feel like this episode might be bad for very different. For maybe almost the opposite reasons that beer bad is is not good. But um, before we start talking about that, um, hmm. that's an interesting thesis. We yeah, shall explore. I'll, I'll, it. I'll support it in a second. Um, but first, our like few little production notes. So we have a new writer this week, um, Stephen Thompson. So this is his first Doctor Who episode. Um, he is one of the of three writers who write Sherlock with Moffat and Marcatus. Okay. Um, so uh, that's a very well-received and well-regarded, well-written show. Um, I know there are a lot of people who pretty much feel like Stephen Thompson's episodes are almost entirely re rewritten by Stephen Moffat. <laughs> so I don't know how much credence to give that idea, you know, what that sure. says about Stephen Thompson, I'm not sure, or if that's people just sort of projecting things onto him i don't really know right. um but uh in any case he he did write this episode too um and um so interesting little note that this episode was actually originally supposed to be in the second half of the season 
um, but it got moved. Moffat switched it with one which we'll see in the second half um, because uh, he felt that the first half of the season was um, too dark, I guess, like, thematically, you know, starting with, you know, the big Death of the Doctor episode, um, and then sure, some other sure. things which are coming in, in <laughs> Wait, the Wait, it gets episodes. darker than that? Yeah, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and then he kind of went, hmm, maybe there was a reason that Davies would start slow and work his way up, but whatever. So, and then also, apparently, um, uh, he also thought there were too many episodes inside. Like, this is, like, the only episode in the first half of the season that, like, primarily takes place outdoors so uh, not only is it kind of more of a fun light episode um but like even just visually it lets some air in so it's not all doom and gloom and trapped indoors and everything um I, even I, though they're in the ship for like a good part of it well and i was gonna say but also it's night and rainy and yeah dark right and, right so it doesn't and... even like change the visual palette that much and yeah, yeah. and they are like trapped in like the magazine for some period of time right. and and then they go into the interior of the right. starship right. you know right. so like there's yeah yeah i'm not sure that quite works I'm not uh, either. if that's the reason but it's also i think the only episode he could have switched the other one with in the second half of the season everything else has per more story to do per reasons. like yeah like continuity reasons like mm. you can kind of get away with moving this one and it doesn't affect the story and everything fair um, enough so you know maybe we can talk about so i, I kind of feel like this was this episode probably already had enough problems on its own, um, but then moving it doesn't really do it any service because what you've done is taken like, you know, a kind of light, fillery, standalone episode and shoved it right after this huge, epic, you know, two-part opening. Yeah. And it just comes off way more, like, lightweight than it even did already. You know, I just, you know... If you were doing like Davies used to do, where you started with, you know, more standalone, fun episodes and work your way up to the emotional climax, you can kind of get away with that a bit more. Um, but putting it between the premiere and the episode which is coming next, which has a lot more uh, mythological weight, it feels pretty disposable to me. Um, well, and, and it makes you, it makes you wonder, like, so at the end of the last episode, the, you know, the prior episode, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, should we go find out what this girl is all about? Right. Or should we go on an adventure first? Okay, let's go yeah. on an adventure first. And it's like, ho, 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 yo. Yeah. Oh, does anybody actually say that? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's like, really? Like, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, this is the... This is what happens when you, uh, or not, it, not that this is what has to happen, but like this can be the issue with like, you know, messing with like the structure of the season is it has, I think it maybe has consequences that you don't necessarily anticipate. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think Moffat meant to like doom this episode by putting it after the premiere. But it's kind of like in retrospect, you go, oh, that's why it doesn't really work, you know, because then it makes this episode feel 
so superficial and everything. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. like, live up to the splendor that was, like, you know. Yeah. Or it's, it's hard to imagine after the drama that they've best just been through that yeah. they then go and have this silly adventure, you know, like, just right. for no reason. Um, yeah. So, um, and so I'm definitely not the only one to feel this way. This is not a fan favorite. Um, on the Doctor Who magazine poll, it's number 227 out of 241. So oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite low. Down there. <laughs> um, we only have two other Matt Smith episodes that are lower. Um, we haven't seen them yet. So, oh, okay. uh, so they're, they're yet to come. But That's interesting. This is, this is sort of at sort of towards the bottom of the pile for for Matt Smith. Um, mm -hmm. And so here's my, my thesis about its badness. So you can tell me whether you agree. Um, okay. I feel uh, like, uh -oh. he, well, so I feel like beer bad had some kind of interesting bits and kind of ideas and concepts and like standout moments or scenes or whatever. It's just, just the execution was, like, bad. Like, it just yeah. wasn't, well, it, it it was kind of a misconceived and kind of lamely crafted episode. Whereas yeah. I feel like this, there's nothing wrong with it that you can really point to. It looks fantastic. You know, like, sure. the, like the production value is awesome. You know, there's nothing really wrong with the acting or the actors or the casting or whatever. There's some mm -hmm. good, there's a couple good moments. There's some good lines. It's funny enough, you know, but it doesn't have any like substance to it. Like there's nothing behind all the like, it's perfectly fine. And then like you scratch the surface and there's just not much Yeah. underneath. And it kind of, it hits home to me how much Davies and Moffat both have completely done away with the notion that Doctor Who should be like, you know, standalone adventures. Like, we've become so used now to the story being so character driven. And like, even the standalone episodes advance something of the plot, or they tell you something about the Doctor or Amy or whatever that you didn't know before. Um, Except this one. Except really. this one. It doesn't, like... it doesn't really. And it's one of the only ones of all of them that I can think of. So, like, even I feel like episodes that might be not as well made in terms of, like, the craft, I like them better because they have some idea there. Um, you know, they're trying to do something. Um, mm. And this is the one of the only episodes for me where I catch myself, like, zoning out. Like, my mind wanders. It loses my attention. Sure. And I have to sure. remind myself to, like, pay attention, you know? Like, right, and, right. Like, okay, what's going, what happened? And, like, I find myself, like, drifting. So, um, maybe yeah. we can find some bits that we like. I don't know whether that was your experience or not, but that's... No, I, I mean... I, I don't know that I thought about it in that way, but I do kind of see what you're saying. Like it's, <laughs> this is okay. We can go back to, I think you may have read a blog post that I wrote a little while back about um, movies that are basically well-made pieces of crap. 
sure. uh, that movies like Avatar mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I talked about like, uh, I think it was Dallas Buyers Club is sort right. of like another one and Prometheus that right. they're all very beautiful. Right. Production value is great. Yeah. The storylines themselves are kind of terrible. Lame, or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lame or whatever. And actually, like, from a sort of plot-driven adventure, I would say this is even better than even sort of the ones that I named. Like, sure, yeah. Uh, but, that, but that, yeah, there's just, there isn't a real lot of... of deep stuff in this there's not a lot of there there if i can use this if yeah if i can use the technical term deep stuff yeah it's um, lacking in deep stuff yeah it's lacking yeah so well and whatever deep stuff there is isn't isn't new deep stuff like they try to go for like the the pathos of rory almost dying and amy crying and but we've seen that so it's like even the deep stuff is like a rehash of, of yeah. deep stuff Which, that we had a couple episodes ago. And you don't even, it's like, you're not even worried anymore. And, yeah. and it doesn't. So I'm, it's like, you're not even really sure why they go there. Um, right. And I think I actually, I can't remember if I actually texted this to you or not, but I just, I, when it got to that point, I'm like, okay, seriously, how many times are they going to kill Rory? Right. Like, you know, like this yeah. is right. It's, it's just not, like we got the one with the dreams, but yeah. then like, oh, okay, it was only dreams, okay, and then like two episodes later, he's dead again, and like, but this time it's real, right? And then we get you know him coming back in this kind of weird automaton way and whatever, right. and and then you know that all works out and fun. But now it's just like, all right, now you're just jerking me around, like right. you know what I mean, like right. this, like you know she's gonna save him, like right. come on, whatever. Right. Um, and I would contrast that actually that that's actually a good contrast to the angel episode because I know we don't want to talk about angel yet, but there is that scene with Kate driving the big stake of wood through her heart to kill the guy behind her. Right. And we've seen that with Buffy, you know, and the sword and, you know, driving it through the statue. So we have seen that thing before, but it's such a different feel. Like in, in, in angel, it feels like it's real and it's, you know, something that yeah. makes sense to the story and yeah. makes sense for why she does. But well, like you have in that, this... that, that, that moment of, Oh my God, she did it. You know, like, right, right. yeah. Um, whereas like, yeah, this is like, Oh, well, they killed Rory again, you right. know, like, and not even for like a real thing. Right. I, the, the whole like conceit of the ship doctor, you know, aut- automated doctor, can save them but not cure them like that also doesn't quite seem right to me like it's like why not like why would it be that terrible at right you know saving people and um you know rory was drowning and it can stop him from drowning but as soon as you take him off life support then he's drowning again like that that's not even like that's not even like magical that just makes no sense you know what i mean like that yeah (sighs) No, he would still be drowned if his airway was obstructed. It would be obstructed the whole time. Right. Like, I don't know. Stu- so anyway, like that that sort of thing. It's just like, okay, you just... I don't even know why you did that. Right. But anyway. But I do like... I mean, I do actually like how they did, you know, the play of the siren. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about how, like, sort of the classic monsters are 
aliens or alien right. technology or whatever. You know, I mean, we've seen it with werewolves. We've seen it with vampires. We, you know, now we've seen it with sirens, you know, right, which right. are, you know, classical mythology and stuff. And I, I, I do actually kind of like that whole conceit. And, and, and you don't think, I mean, I guess pirates and sirens, but you think more of like Oedipus, right? You know, sure. you know, that kind of thing, but sailors of some type. So like, you know, I get, I get that. I like, I kind of like how they did that and, and sort of dealt with that. I'm just, it's just like, then they throw in this, like, Oh, we're going to step it up a notch, but by killing Rory off, you actually aren't stepping it up. Right. A notch. You You're know kinda... that that's the signal that they're actually yeah. not stepping. And it's like, okay. So I suppose Rory could actually die again for real, but you know, it's not going to be in this episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, the, 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 yeah. there's no, and yeah, it's weird because it's like I think we both neither of us uh we know that like surprisingness is more important than surprise. So it's not necessarily the, a problem that you know he's going to be okay. It's just you feel like there there's no surprisingness to the way it's constructed. Like you know it all before you see it. There's no kind of a there's no sense of oh how are they going to pull this off? Kind of. It's mm -hmm. like you can pretty much it's yeah. predictable and feels and even, kind of rehashed even in sort of the long you know extended overdrawn you know protracted moment have right. i used enough words that mean the same thing uh you know where rory's uh you know not breathing or whatever yeah like two things that i had a problem with there one again just to sort of reiterate you know he's gonna yeah. be revived yeah. But also, the whole the whole point is that he says to Amy, you know, I know you're going to do it because you don't you won't give up. But she, gives, she up. gives up. She gives up. Like it's and not even stops, like he starts breathing for no real reason whatsoever. For no reason yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And you know, again, like I mean, you know, we've talked about how you do have to have sort of the suspension of disbelief in some of the stuff, or just kind of take like the fantastical explanations of things, but sure, this is, but, those, but these this are is basic like medical. Sense yeah. This things. is basic yeah. medical, yeah. like actual human medical things that yeah. like, at least like when you see it on, you know, ER, right. Like, you know, they keep going until a person starts breathing. <laughs> right. again. They don't just give up. Yeah. And then 40 right. seconds later, yeah. you know, <laughs> and especially, which, Without any water, like, coming out of his mouth or anything. Well, you know and especially like, when, like you said, the whole point of it was that he knew she wouldn't give up, and then she totally right. does. You're like, how does that get past? This is one, that's one of those moments where you go, like, okay, were you all just on mental vacation? Like, how, yeah. how did that get past the writer, the producers, the director, the actors? Yeah. Nobody put up their hand yeah. and said, yeah, the script uh, this editors, is a little, the this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> continuity people, yeah. you know, like there's all sorts of people who you would think. Would say like, would... Uh, excuse me, you know, this might need a little bit of, because you could, such an easy rewrite to have her keep going. Keep going. Until he, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yep. No, and you feel like it's for the the cheap thrill of the moment where where yeah. he's not re responding, and then he does, which isn't even that much of a thrill because you know he's going to do it anyway. So it just doesn't work on a lot of levels. <laughs> yep. Yep. So okay, 
we we beat Rory's death to death. Um, <laughs> we didn't even start out talking where we were going to start talking no. well, let's, with Cap- let's, Captain Avery and the pirates and well, let's and all start. That. Well, because yeah, because obviously this is like one of those. This is probably the most blatant example of like the Doctor Who does a genre episode. You know, sure, thing. sure. Um, it's like how many pirate tropes can we put into a single episode kind of thing yeah which is kind of fun to sit around and kind of try to spot them sure Um, sure and it can be fun um i like you know okay you get uh i I do like they did build up the intrigue of you know the black spot on the hand and stuff like that like i actually thought that that was one of the better things that you know where this episode worked of you know, you get the guy who, you know, they say, oh, he got injured. I don't know if he's going to live. And, you know, you find right. out it's this little tiny it's scratch. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, but then, you know, it's very dire. And you get Lord Grantham saying, uh, <laughs> you know, yes, he's, oh, I mean, uh, Captain Avery Captain saying, <laughs> saying uh, you know, no, of course, you're, you know, you're going to die just like the rest of them or whatever, you know. Yeah. And and so, like, you do get, you do actually, I think, start out that, that opening scene pretty strongly with, um, you know, sort of setting up the intrigue and the, the conceit of the episode, um, you know, where does it go from there? Um, yeah. And yeah, so I made the reference to Lord Grantham. Obviously, I like that actor. So, I mean, sure. um, and this is after he did, you know, started doing Downton Abbey, right? I mean, this would be... I think so, yeah. Or, the, or, yeah or around the same time, but I think after they'd started, yeah. Yeah, Um and I'm sure, I mean, he, I know he's been an actor in a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, he's not Downton Abbey and Doctor Who only, but sure. you know what I mean? No, but that's um, clearly what he is known for. Is At least at now. At least internationally yeah. from where I'm sitting, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that, you know, I, I like him. I like that, you know, set up. Uh, and of course... I do like actually having, you know, the doctor pop out and say, yo, ho, ho. And, oh, does nobody actually say that? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and all of that. Um, yeah. No, the, so, there's a lot of fun little, especially the doctor, I think, is especially fun, you know, with all the little like yeah. commentary, meta commentary on pirates and stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Well, enjoying it's all... himself. Yeah. We're we're just like you, you know, uh, without the guns, you know, yeah. like you know, and the beard. But yeah, <laughs> but it, I mean, in a way, he is kind of like. I mean, they don't go around searching for treasure and whatever, but I mean, he does have a stolen ship, yeah. and he does go around sort of doing his own adventures and stuff. So there is, in a sense, a lot of little parallels to his nomadic life and the somewhat nomadic life of a pirate. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Um, you do kind of get some of those sort of little parallels. Also, yeah, definitely. Um, again, you get the, you know, his his gift of gab saving his life mm. moment of you know standing on the plank and he just keeps talking until he can't think of anything more. So he says, "Well, laugh." You know, he, he's like, "There's <laughs> not, you aren't laughing at my plight enough. You know, you need to be yeah. laughing more at me." You know, and and how ridiculous I am up here, and yeah, you know, just biting and trying to buy more time uh, yeah. until something can happen to change the situation, which uh, turns out to be Amy. Yeah. Um. So no, I do like a lot of those um, little things. The yeah, the beer. The, oh. Beards, it's a fantastic beard. I'm gonna get a beard. You yeah. know, Rory in his sort of 
uh and his like stupor uh, of yeah. yeah his siren kind of influence uh and i like uh the 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 references like to hats too like whoever has the biggest hat you know always is in charge yeah and so the doctor's yeah. like you know when when he says like I'm in charge of the ship, you're not in charge. The doctor says, "So you're worried because I have a hat now, <laughs> like, yeah. like because he has the hat on, he's suddenly a threat." So, yeah. Um, um, although talking about biggest hats, there 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 are a lot of compensation jokes yes. in this episode yeah. too, and it's like yeah, I'm not... the one about like Freud, like you're compensating for something. Have you met Freud? No, compensation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. But there are several of those moments. It's just like, okay, one's fine. Yeah. Two, okay. Like three. Yeah. Four? I don't know. Um, I, maybe there aren't four, but I don't know. I well, did, it's enough I, that we like too, notice that, that. That reminds me of something, too, that like another problem that I have, um, as much as I enjoy spotting the pirate, you know, cliches and jokes and stuff, um, I feel like another issue is that a lot of these observations and humor isn't even that funny anymore because it's retreading a lot of the same ground that Pirates of the Caribbean did. Like, mm -hmm. if Pirates of the Caribbean didn't exist, this episode would be much more edgy because it would have been like, you sure. know, sending up the pirate genre. But Pirates has been doing that. For 10 years before this, you know, um, you know, before this episode came out. So you feel like it's a lot of the same jokes of like adding the humor and the supernatural elements and the silliness to like yeah. the, the pirate yarn. Um, and like even like the compensation jokes, like that's all in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like the jokes about who has the biggest hat, who has the biggest mm -hmm. sword and gun at any given time. And, you know, like all the different pirates vying for like who's in charge and who's, you know, most in control and whatever. Um, so like, it's just another example of something that like, given when it's made is like extremely unoriginal, like, you know, like that kind of, I feel like it's just so similar to those movies. Um, and so even the jokes that it has, are kind of ripped off <laughs> a little bit. Right, yeah. But. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and they're just not, right, and they're not that. Like, I mean, isn't, okay. I, this, I was, isn't, I, this isn't telling me anything that I don't know about the pirate genre. Like, it's not giving any new spin on it. It's not right. even doing the thing where, like, oh, you know, it's Agatha Christie, but as Doctor Who does it, it, what a wacky idea, wasps and all that. Like, it's not even putting a wacky Doctor Who spin on the genre. Like, because we've seen the wacky spin on it. Like, we're kind of familiar with that right now, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry, so, I keep being a, like a buzzkill. No, no, no. I think, I think you're right. Like, it... It is one of those things where you just like if you're just watching it for the sheer enjoyment of, you know, having a fun time, that's fine. But it really isn't something where you're going to get a lot of deeper stuff out of it. And so and and that's not to say that you can't enjoy those sorts of things. There are certainly plenty of those sorts of movies and episodes of television and, you know, certainly in Joss Whedon shows, too. Right. Although I like to think maybe 
not that many in Joss Whedon shows. Yeah. I mean, but you know, there no, and there I think they're relatively where, few and far between in Doctor Who too. So right, right, this and is I the would say based rather on, than the rule on what I've seen so far, I would agree with that as well. So yeah. I mean, you know, you're it's gonna you're gonna run across them. That's not to see like like you said. I mean, it's very well made. Like it's not. It's it's again it's beautiful and it you know they did a good job with the sets and with the cgi and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff um but yeah the pirate stuff i mean it's fun to see amy coming out in her pirate outfit certainly rory likes that yeah Um, no that is a good moment for amy to get and i uh, go ahead no i was just gonna say i mean you know i like i like that i do actually kind of like that they keep playing on sort of their their cosplay stuff and like finding new way like it's at least not, you know, the Roman and the policewoman again. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. at least it's something new. Um, and and her sort of swinging the sword around. And I like how, how confident she gets in such a short amount of time. You right. know, that, that actually reminds me of, you know, the Shindig episode of, of Firefly. You know, right, Mouse, yeah. you know and, and uh, you know, the guy sort of whispers to Inara, he actually thinks he's doing well, doesn't he? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and, and that's Amy in this moment, right? Like, oh, you know. Yes, I I know I could kill you all with this. That's why I'm pointing at, at you. And you know, has, she has no idea that it's basically they're saying you could scratch us, which would right. doom us. You know, rather than you know thinking she's gonna you know I don't know chop their heads off right. or something right. like ridiculous like that. Um, yeah, I um... and and the swinging on the rope. I mean, yes, that's another pirate trope. You know, they swing it on the rope while they're in the middle of a fight. But it's kind of fun to see yeah. Amy doing that. It's not. Uh, yeah, you know, not completely. Whatever. I, I love that moment where she gets kind of cocky, and like where she kind of yeah. like she's swinging, and then she kind of goes, "Yeah," like she's kind of like into herself, and that, but then she has to remember to like actually like pay attention. Um, right. Like right. A- Karen Gillan's very funny there, um, mm-hmm. and it does pull a neat trick where like it allows Amy to be kind of like you know, kick ass and cool and like get like a good fight scene, but making it plausible because you realize the only way she's winning is because they're afraid of her because they don't want to get cut. Like not because she's a great, you know, you know, swordsman or anything, but just because one scratch could be the end. So like it gives her the kind of like tough fight scene, but like doesn't make it completely like ridiculous. So you're able to kind of enjoy it and also kind of like laugh at the same time. So yeah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good moment. And actually I feel like Amy gets more um, of those kinds of like physical, like fight things than a lot of the other companions do. Um, mm. I can't think of too many others that we've had so far. Um, like where the companion really got to like, you know, fight and be like physical in that way. Um, I'm not sure why Amy gets that more than what did it, what is it about Amy? But, and we haven't had too many yet. There's one or two more that I'm thinking of. So, um, I don't know. There's something kind of like tough and spunky about her. I think that kind of works with that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess, not, I mean, not as a primary companion, but like Mickey, when he sort of comes back, you know, we sort well, of talked true. about the change 
in him. But at that point, he's not really companion anymore. So I don't yeah, know if that quite counts. I, and, and I guess Jack and River... But I'm thinking more of like I was I was meaning like the main like right like, like the Rosemar no. Madonnas yeah yeah no and that's what I thought you meant like yeah. I which is why I was I, I sort of thought of it and I'm like well I don't know how much this counts so yeah yeah um, and yeah and I I mean right like River I don't really count even as sort of a companion in a way it's right like, like not a not she's, a proper full time yeah yeah well and she's more I. How how do we get around to talking about River in an episode <laughs> in a that doesn't episode. have her in it? But like I can see her more as um, a, a, a co-equal, a, a, you right. know, um, what do you call it? Like a peer, yeah. you know, who happens to meet up with the Doctor from time to time. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I I don't even know that that quite counts. Like her right. action and stuff. It's yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so the it is fun to sort of see amy in that moment and her cockiness is great Mm -hmm. um and also the fact that she gets kind of shut down pretty quickly with it you know i mean and and cuts rory in the process (laughs) right and dooms him and he's like uh so what's Uh, happening here (laughs) yeah uh and yeah, exactly. much as I am kind of weary of the Rory dying thing, it is like, of course, it's always Rory's luck that he's the one that gets the cut and gets like doomed by the siren and ever like, and that feels right. Like, it's always going to yeah. be Rory oh, yeah. that's the the third, right? And like the one who's kind of in the most sort of and is the most passive, always in the most peril. Yeah, yeah, and and clumsy and whatever because yeah. he's like trying to catch the sword or right, something right. by like the blade. Right. It's like, why would you do that? Yeah, like it's the sort of thing that I would say to my kids. It's like, what what would possess you to do that sort of like? Yeah. if there's a sword tumbling in the air, you don't try to catch it by the blade with your bare you hands. Step, you step, yeah, with your bare hands, you step yeah. back and let it fall to the ground, and then you can pick it up. Yeah, like yeah, what what would possess your mind to do that? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um. But yeah, no, of course. I mean, and that is fun and whatever. I mean, and even, you know, and of course when that happens and when Rory gets taken, you know, all those moments were like, well, no, he's probably going to be okay. Yeah. And then you, you know, and then the doctor, you know, eventually suggests, well, let's prick ourselves and let her take us too and see where this goes. Because clearly nothing else is going to happen here. The TARDIS gets taken away and... I'm not Although that clear. that bothers me too because I wish there had been some hint that the people weren't actually dying because that feels like quite a leap to me to go from she's killing these people to well let's prick our fingers and hope that she's not <laughs> like like maybe yeah. if there'd been any suggestion that maybe there's somewhere else that that decision would make a little bit more sense it just feels like, well, we need them to do this, so they're going to do it, and there's no real logical reason why they would think this would work. Yeah. Um, I have to admit, I actually didn't really think about it like that, so I just kind of And I think like, oh, it goes okay. by you because in the back of your mind, you know they're alive somewhere. So, like, it, you know, I think it, like, gets, it's easily sort of Yeah. Um, the thing... The thing that bothered me more than that is why the TARDIS gets taken. Yeah. And we get zero explanation yeah. of that either. Yeah. So it's like, okay. And and the only thing that I can think of 
is because it wasn't working. And so it being somewhat alive uh -huh. that the creature took it as well. But that's my own just sort of thought process. And if I were writing the story, I would put in that put sort that of explanation. In, right. That you makes know, but, as much sense of as anything else. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I don't know that that's why we don't ever get a reason why there doesn't seem to yeah. be a real reason why, but um, that would just sort of be my, yeah. Like it's not working properly. Yeah. And so, I, I took it as because the two like dimensions are sort of, the two ships, I guess, are parked in the same place, just in slightly different dimensions, that the ship that the TARDIS got, like, confused as to which d plane it's supposed to be on. But I don't know that that makes any more sense than what you said. It so, doesn't make any less sense either, because we don't <laughs> cause we really, don't really know. ever, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyway. Um, um, I do like, speaking of the TARDIS, I and and like a quasi personal TARDIS too. I like the moment of uh, when they get to the other ship, and you know Avery says Toby, and Amy says Rory, and the Doctor goes the TARDIS, yeah, <laughs> and goes yeah. and that's like his person who he's so that kind of supports your theory that that was like you know a being who was taken to the sick bay and everything that that was his sort of person he was most worried about and is the happiest right. to see on the other right. side, you know? Um, um, so, and also we get Avery going into the TARDIS and another innuendo joke. Um, right. Sorry. You know, sorry. I said mine was smaller than yours or whatever it is. Uh, the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I quite buy the whole captain Avery, being able to fly any ship <laughs> in the ships universe, are the same. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, point me to the atomizer right. or atom, whatever right. accelerator. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, I guess like in some sense, there are similar principles. I mean, turn this thingy here and the ship goes forward and whatever, but yeah, that seems quite a technological leap from, yeah. you know, Seventeen, eighteenth century sailing vessels yeah. to, uh, you know, starships and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just I, my I, two cents. No, that's definitely true. And again, it's like I get why it's there. Like, and I get what they're going for, which is this whole like comparison with, of like you said, like the Doctor being paralleled, kind of with pirates like in that they're both mm -hmm. ships captains and they're both sort of rogue and they're, they're rogue and they're sort of yeah. out there like <laughs> you know outside the law and all this kind of stuff like so there's that kind of parallel of a ship's a ship that like they have something in common as sort of these lone you know captains and everything but yeah um again like putting stuff in because they want it to be there and not a lot of thought as to whether or not that makes sense or like what they might need to do in the script to make it make sense, you know? So like, sure. okay, because we've established a thematic parallel between the doctor and pirates, therefore this pirate can fly any ship in the right. universe. Right. Not quite yeah, the same I almost, thing. 
I almost feel like it would have been better in that instance to have the doctor be the one to sort of make that claim and then like right, show like he him can like fly like the or he can sail the sail the the ship or something. Well, no, just to have like the doctor say, "Oh no, you know, this is easy. It's just like, you oh, know, this right. or that." And then show Avery and right. sort of like so he's sort of like teaching him, but right, right. Then, like you could learn this, you know, but you might actually you, have to learn it. <laughs> If you do that, then you're undercutting Avery's sort of own, you know, yeah. uh, uh, confidence in himself and whatever there, too. So it's like, I'm not even sure that would have worked, but it, I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem quite like, it doesn't, yeah, quite mesh very mm. well, I think. Um, so, uh, <laughs> all right, we're just talking about a lot of stuff that bothers we're us. We're, we don't even, place. we don't even have like... A, a guide here but i do have to talk so in in the the whole siren and the ship and her, you know she's the automated doctor or whatever yeah this might be stretching a little bit but okay. uh you know you get that okay she turns red whenever there's sort of a threat which apparently so includes like sneezing because there's germs and stuff mm -hmm. and she gets all fiery and whatever um Back in season five, mm -hmm. we got uh, the doctor when he was taking, you know, when he was down in the Silurian, uh, uh, you know, whatever, and he yeah. was being, quote, decontaminated. Right. He makes he makes a comment about not uh, that it's the human microbes and everything that are like keeping him alive. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's it seems strange to me that. In a ship where, you know, apparently you've had this outbreak of some sort of human, I don't know, virus or bacteria or pathogen of some sort. Yeah. That you get the doctor sneezing and the thing detects the sneeze, but not presumably all of these other things that are, you know, that were at one point going to decontaminate him, you know, be decontaminated right. from him or whatever. So right. I don't know. Like, again, maybe that's a stretch, but hmm. there, you know... Obviously, I know sometimes those sorts of that level of continuity isn't yeah. necessarily looked at yeah. uh, in Doctor Who, um, but it does seem like these sort those sort of little one-off things are overlooked maybe a little more often than I would like. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like I would imagine that there's not a lot of thought being given to that. Like to me, the issue the issue seems less she's detecting what's going on on a microscopic biological level. And it's more who's sick and who's not <laughs> like yeah. the doctor sneezes. Therefore he needs to be nursed, you know, or people who are not sneezing do not. And it doesn't really matter like what kind of like bacteria they have or like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think, you know, I don't think anyone in an episode where nobody picked up on the issue with Rory's <laughs> resuscitation, it doesn't surprise sure. me that they're not looking at, like, the, whether the biology, like, makes any sense. And and I'm not saying that's a good thing. Like, that's a failure of the episode. But certainly this episode, I think, a lot of common sense went under the radar, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, and I admit, like I said, that maybe that's even a stretch to sort of expect that that level of scrutiny would yeah. have been given. But, um, 
Anyway, it, it, it was something I noticed and which bothered me. Yeah. Um, all of this said, <laughs> I actually do like... So, okay, we get to the end uh, with the Doctor and Amy and Rory. Mm-hmm. And we get the... Okay, we get... This is, you know, the the point where you actually could say something new and insightful about the characters. All they do is rehash things that we already know. Yeah. So, you know, you get the scanner again showing Amy pregnant, then not pregnant, then pregnant, not pregnant, pregnant, yeah. not pregnant. Okay, we've seen that already. This is clearly just a reminder of that. There's nothing yeah. new there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Amy's sort of, uh, you know, oh, you only call me Amelia when you're worried about me. You know, well, I'm always worried about you. Well, I'm always, you know, feelings mutual, basically. Yeah. And, and you know, Rory, you can't tell him and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's like, again, that could have been, you could have done something more. Like, you could have shown that and then did yeah. something more with that. I don't know what, because I don't yeah. know what's coming next. I don't know sure. what sure. could be hinted at. But I guess that was sort of disappointing that all they did was rehash that. It's like... We just had this 40-whatever minutes of, you know, fun, meaningless romp. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we're just going to remind you that we haven't taken the story any further yet. Right, right. But, um... Just don't forget about it while we're away having adventures. Yeah. (laughs) Like, in sort of... I guess it's sort of between that and whatever happened immediately previous. we We do get the picture of Avery and you know, his new ship and his uh-huh. new and his crew, it's the same crew, but they're up and walking about. Right. Um, although they're not cured, they just right. have the things sticking out of their necks, which implies that they're still attached somehow to what, uh, anyway, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I do like that whole thing and they're, you know, and they're going towards Sirius or whatever. Right, yeah. And, yeah. The um, idea of like, like the space pirates and everything. Just, and like, just, yeah. Yeah. Space pirates. <laughs> um, you know, so I do like, like that sort of idea there. Uh, just, just sort of visually, again, going along with that, it's a very nicely yeah. visual episode, but not necessarily one of substance, but that does sort of give a, a, a nice thing and that you know now you get toby his son who we haven't even like talked about in this whole episode because what's there to say right, um right you know uh but that at least you know he has sort of reconciled himself to uh having his son along and you know he's he's actually sitting in sort of the co-pilot chair so mm-hmm. um i don't know all like sort of the visuality visual visuality visualness visu- yeah uh of all that I liked. Yeah. No, um, I do too. Anyway. Um and I think there's a few other things which I I think kind of are nice little they're annoying because they're nice little echoes of some like of the more arc themes, but they don't like go anywhere or develop them really. Like I think you could it would be a stretch, but you could kind of make a connection between well, there's that one moment where um, the doctor says, you know, we've all got to go sometime. And Amy and Rory give each other a significant look. And then he's like, well, you, you, there are worse ways than getting your face snogged off by a dodgy mermaid. Which is funny, but then, like, you know, you're you're thinking about how, you know, 
we've all got to go sometime, even the doctor, you know. Um, and just this idea of the siren kind of marking them for death and then being kind of pursued relentlessly is kind of a nice little, you know, whether they intended that as like a continuation of the theme, I don't know. But um, you could kind of make an argument, I think, that that has an echo of the doctor's death sort of looming over him and sort of pursuing him and kind of coming for him. Um, yeah. And, um, and having Avery, the presence of the father and the son with having just had a couple episodes focused on, you know, these, the, the girl, you know, and if, if is Amy pregnant or not? And there's this kind of mm -hmm. mysterious orphan girl and, and the question of where she came from and whose yeah. daughter she might be and everything there's a little bit of parental, you know, and again, they don't really do anything with it. I don't think it really informs anything we know about, like, the characters, really. But there, there are a couple little things that at least could have been nice thematic links, even though right. they don't really, like, use them very well. Right. Um, but they're there, so maybe... I'd like to think that Moffat and his crew, you know, had that in mind when they put those things in. But I honestly don't know that they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess whether they did or didn't even, you know, there's the whole, does yeah. it even matter? Does sort it of matter? Authorial right. intent. There. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if we see them, then I guess, good. Sure. We can sort of choose to read them in that light. Um yeah. Anyway, I don't know that I have much more to say, either good or bad, about this episode. Any any final thoughts that you want to make sure we, you know, don't uh, uh, get away from? Not really. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm honestly surprised we've talked fifty minutes about. Yeah, most it. So, of it was was griping, but that's, that's I yeah. Expected. This is probably our most negative episode yeah. <laughs> so far. Unfortunately. Well, I don't know. We were pretty hard on Daleks in Manhattan. <laughs> That's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, all right. Um, if there's nothing more, maybe we can move on then. Okay. So let's move on to Angel. All right. I was just proud that I can pronounce the title of this episode. <laughs> Somnambulist, Somnambulist, yes. Um, well, I think we have... You have... A bunch of production notes for this one. So I do. Yeah. I've got a bunch of, yeah, sort of production and actor and whatever notes, yeah. um, writer notes and stuff. So, um, first of all, just real quick to note, Alexis Denisoff uh, mm -hmm. is now part of the credits, yes. uh, which he wasn't in the last episode, no. you know, just because you want to get the surprise of, yes. you know, seeing Wesley. Wesley popping up, so that's yeah. It. Um, also, we get the guest star of Jeremy Renner, yeah, who uh, is has actually has gone on to be in another, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Whedon production, a little thing that he did sort of on the side called Avengers, <laughs> um, and this little movie that nobody's ever yeah. heard of. Yeah, which yeah, this is funny. Movie I that never broke all worldwide records, and I—I I mean, I, I've seen Adventures, obviously, but like, I didn't know 
I didn't know that he had done Angels. I never would have thought of Jeremy Renner as one of the because Whedon's one of those directors who reuses the same yeah. actors over and over again. Right. And I didn't realize he was one of those, like in that kind of like hat trick, like oh the people who pop up in things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um and. And I think those are the only two. So, I mean, I don't, you know, it's yeah, not like, right, you right. know, a guest star in Angel and, uh, you know, of the characters in the Avengers, he's certainly not one of, of the main ones. So, you no. know what I mean? It's not, he, but um, he does in, in uh, Joss Whedon, a biography, Amy Pascal, you know, talks about sort of his role. And apparently uh, there were 50 actors hmm. who actually uh, came in to um, audition for the role of Penn. Mm. Um, seemed to be a very popular role, one that a lot of people wanted. And yeah. um, Amy Britt, who who was the casting director, said, uh, you know, that he just sort of came in and blew them all away and, and knew that they had kind of found the guy, even though he's smaller and sort of less yeah. formidable, you know, uh, or, or less physically you know, president said he still has formidable, you know, sort of thing. And, and I mean, certainly his acting career since then has, uh, has come to, you know, yeah, this is one of those before they were famous kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, certainly, I mean, uh, it, so an example, I mean, certainly he's in the most recent born movie, um, you know, as not as born, but as sort of a secondary character who kind of has parallel, you know, things going on with Jason Bourne. And it's one of the few movies that I've seen where they've done that sort of spin-off effect that I actually liked and mm. actually thought worked pretty well. So, you know, I mean, I think it's it's a testament to him as an actor. Um, I like him in this role. This is probably uh, one, of, one of, if not you know, the favorite episode of mine from season one anyway mm. of Angel. Um and probably, you know, one of my favorites from the series. Um so, you know, I, I just really like it uh a lot and I think he's a big part of that, just the way he plays and, and sort of interacts with uh the other actors and stuff. Yeah, um, no, I I mean you can definitely see Whedon has an eye for the casting and, you know, he's good at picking people who go on to be very successful, you know, whether with his projects or somebody else's. Um, Cause even before Avengers, he was getting well-known, um, you know, for other things. What's that Catherine Bigelow movie? Now I can't remember the Iraq one or whatever. I can't remember yeah. what it's called. Um, but uh, like, you know, Whedon is kind of an actor's director, I think. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that we keep finding these little, guest stars who go on to be known for other things. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the other thing I definitely wanted to note is, uh, that this was written by Tim Minear, who I've made no bones about is one of my favorite, uh, you know, second to Whedon is probably my favorite Whedon writer. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Whedon associated writer or whatever. Um, this was actually the first story. And I think I mentioned this before. This was the first story that he actually wrote, for um angel mm. uh even though it ends up uh sense and sensitivity something he also wrote uh but that aired first so right. we, we've already talked about that one. um which i think is interesting because you can start to see a couple of things first of all both of those stories uh are really heavy on the angel kate relationship yeah yeah kate uh, kate especially yeah um 
So, you know, just, I, you know, okay, you know, that's fine. But I also like, you also get those moments that are sort of seminal in within the story that are the, the low key, but high conflict moments, if that makes mm. sense. So like in Sense and Sensitivity, you get the moment between her and her father where it's like at the end of everything, yeah. nothing has changed. And, and that, like you get this idea of that's kind of the point of the story. Right. And I think the similar moment, and, and, and I think this because Tim Minear has said this, so it's uh-huh. not me like surmising this. This is his yeah. words. Um, that, that the center of this episode is between... Um, is really about Kate finding out who Angel really is. And, and that scene, you know, where they're at the door, but he, you know, she pointedly does not invite him in and kind of, you know, the tension and everything there. And then also sort of at the end, you know, which we alluded to in our Doctor Who conversation about, um, you know, her sort of coming to grips with that and not killing him yeah. at the same time as he kill as she kills, uh, pen so um you know i think i think that's just sort of like looking at the types of things that he writes i mean he those are those are sort of his areas where he you know sort of excels or whatever right um kind of a a funny story about this episode and then we can actually go into the the meat of it um this episode uh which thinking about it at the time is kind of funny you know late 90s uh this episode actually got leaked onto the internet um, huh. or like like not the not the video of it but like the story and the plot line and everything okay. and he, Tim Minear says um it was originally titled the killer i created hmm. um and it was spoiled uh he says the plot was out there the point of the episode you know is that angel's protege comes back blah 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 and so he was on some buffy message board and um, like they asked him, you know, what he was working on. So he came up with this title, Somnambulist, and and sort of said, oh, it's about dreams and the horrible things that you do in your sleep and, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 and sort of like misdirected everyone. Uh, and then when it came out, they realized this was the episode that, uh, you know, that the killer I created. So um, he's right. just kind of like, I didn't threw them exactly, off with the title. Yeah. yeah, I didn't exactly lie, but, you know, I changed the title and I sort of, yeah, you know, talk shifted the focus a bit and, That's and funny. all that. Um, That's funny. But, uh, oh, sorry. Let's, well, let's come back to that next week with the Doctor Who episode because there's some similar title shenanigans going on. But oh, okay. Um, um, but this is so. But you know, the other thing is he talks about is you know with because you know this was one of the first ones he wrote and it actually went into what they call the script library mm-hmm. um which you know which was like okay we want to use a story we're not maybe sure when so in a way almost kind of like with the shifting around of of curse of the black spot mm-hmm. spot not splot but <laughs> um curse of the curse of the black spot uh you know so they weren't quite sure when they were going to use this um and a number of scenes and a lot of it actually had to be rewritten because of Doyle. I was going to say, so this was originally written with Doyle in it. With Doyle in mind. So they had to be rewritten, uh, you know, with Wesley in mind, but especially something that I actually thought ended up working really well is that final scene between Cordelia and Angel um, was supposed to be between Doyle and Angel. Mm. And so, it just gives a whole new shift in focus. Yeah. And um, one of the things Tim Minear says, he really liked 
sort of how that worked out because you don't like, you know, you get that sort of buddy moment of, you know, if, if I ever, you know, go bad and yeah, I'll kill yeah. you in a heartbeat. And yeah. it's, it's like, you know, this is, you know, this is more of like, Tim Minear goes, you don't often see the pretty girl and the handsome boy having a buddy moment on right. TV show. Right. And it just kind of gives a whole new yeah. sort of meaning and twist to it. So it's, you know, I, I like that. I like the way that works out. Um, even though obviously, again, you know, we don't like that Doyle's dead and no. not coming back, but this is no, uh, I definitely. Like that, uh, Cordy and Angel seem to have kind of like a Dr. Donna buddy relationship. Like it's not super, yeah. it, it, at least not at this point, it's not really like, there's no real romantic tension there. No. It's, it's a, it's a mutual and kind of, platonic buddy relationship and they have yeah. that kind of snarky at each other like you know yeah. it's all in good humor but they're there for each other kind of thing going on which is nice and you know for a lot of stories and tv and movies and stuff that is pretty rare to have that um you know yeah you they almost always want to inject some sort of subtext or something into those right. relationships so it is nice and refreshing to have that yeah. 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 And just right that it's like, you know, and you get earlier in the episode when Cordy's like, you know, defending him and everything. Yeah. And then like suddenly, you know, just like that, she's like, OK, well, you know, you get the shades and I'll get the stage right. or whatever. No, you know, like, it, it's uh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that she's actually willing to do it, too. You know, so it's not you, you right. It's not there's not some sort of. Uh, undue sentimentalism, right? You know, well, and I, yeah, I was going to bring and, that or up. romanticism in it. I was going to bring that up when we talked about Cordy because I like that aspect of her character a lot. That she is, um, very loyal, but she's also practical. Like she's not falsely sentimental, and she's not sort of, you know, weak and easily influenced. Like there is the part of her that would put him down if she had to, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, that might be easier said than done when it comes down to it. But you really believe that she... She would at least try. She she knows what that would mean. And she would at least be willing, you know. Um, like, yeah, like, evil angel is nothing to be messing with. And, like, you know, she'd turn on him in a second if he went that way again. So I like that aspect of her character. Cool. Well, why don't we go ahead and yeah talk about uh, the character and plot and stuff. Um, I think you wanted to start talking about like Penn and sort of all of that uh, yeah. part of it first. So Yeah, well, I thought that was an interesting um, and kind of effective misdirection at the beginning of having, you know, the dreams and, you know, Angel and we believing that, you know, that this is him, that he could be doing this while he, while sleepwalking or, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then to find out that it's, you know, he is responsible, just not in the way that it seemed at first. Um, you know, so that continued sort of brooding guilt that Angel has of, even things that aren't directly his fault, he still bears the weight of responsibility for them because yeah. of what he's done in the past, you know? So that's sort of his tortured heroism is it doesn't, 
even really matter how much of a hero he is, he's always going to be weighed down by the sins of his past and how people who he hurt and turned and influenced are out there causing more mm -hmm. death and havoc and pain and everything. Right. Um, right. And this is just one of the people right. returned. Right. Like, well, this like, isn't even it, it totally, all of them. But, it totally yeah. um, uh, brought up, like, reminded me of the whole, like, relationship with Spike as we first saw them. You know, because Spike called him his sire, too. You know, that you were my Yoda and everything. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like kind of, I think, called him his sire, right? Like, so referred to him kind of He's... as his father and everything. Yeah, so... I'm trying to remember exactly when or what the quote was, but I know we I... had shades of that kind of almost parental... All right, I can't remember exactly what what the context yeah. uh, is here. So uh, I will tell you, Spike is not... Angel's direct sire. Oh, okay. He is a descendant of angels. Of angels. Okay. And I, I only say that because we do get more flashbacks throughout Buffy and Angel. So, and I don't remember exactly where we are with all of them. Okay. So, so I don't want to, I don't want to reveal Mislead. too much. Well, but in any case, there's that but, sense but, of uh, a mentor protege. You know, we do know that we do know that Angel sired Drusilla. Right. Directly. Right. Because we, you know, we get the, the you know, that she tortured him and, right. and that, all of that. Or, I'm sorry, he tortured he her. He tortured her, right. And all of that. Right. So, um, we do, we do know that much, at least. Yeah. Uh, so that's, and and she's still kicking around. Like, we know, we, or right. at, least, at this point, you know, we, we know that she hasn't died yet. Right, she's uh, out there somewhere. Yeah, she's out there somewhere doing Doing no, whatever thing, whatever even, crazy even, thing she gets up to, she, she, she's doing Spike wrong, no matter what she does. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, like there is that that idea that yeah, there are these other creatures and demons, and some of them quite evil and capably evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know that are are still out there. I mean, and Penn has all this time up until now. I mean, he finally gets killed here, but you know that's hundreds of years that he's been out there yeah. doing these things that. Yeah, anyway. and that Angel was specifically, like, we keep hearing about that, that he was, like, or especially evil and nasty in his methods mm -hmm. and everything, and that that, like, the, his sires or his descendants seem to be especially, you know, violent as well. Like, they're not mm -hmm. just, I mean, I'm sure he turned lots of people, but, like, you know... The ones that we really see aren't just like kind of generic vampire red shirts. They're like ones who went on to kind of go a little bit crazy or be mm -hmm. especially ruthless or, you know, and all a little bit different from each other. Like you get like wacky Drusilla or like, you know, self-interested, you know, free agent Spike or whatever. But like this guy in, as this kind of copycat serial killer who like keeps recreating you know these kind of fantasy scenarios and and you know fancying himself as this like successor to angel by like adopting all of his methods and everything you know yeah. like you know that says something about 
pen, but it also says something about Angel, too. You mm -hmm. know, what kind of vampire he was like and what kind of influence he had on sure. the people, you know, that he turned. Because, um, yep. you know, maybe Penn was, like, kind of a jerk before he died, but, like, you imagine that Angel had something to do with how, you know, cruel and ruthless he became as a vampire. Yeah. Like, under the tutelage of Angel you get, like, really nasty results and everything. Yeah. Um, well, and, and so jealous, now... I should say. We, you know, maybe not much of a pattern, but we see a pattern between... Uh, or the beginnings of a pattern, maybe, even between Drusilla and Penn, mm -hmm. you know, before Angel turned them, because Drusilla was sort of a devote... A, dev a devout... A devote. A devout... <laughs> Devoted. Uh, yeah. You know, person, right? Because, like, we see... There's the scene, you know, where she comes into the... Um, you know, the, the, the confessional. Mm -hmm. And uh, Angel is sort of playing the priest there. Um, because yeah. he, he was just a moment before eating the priest. <laughs> like, right, right. you know. Um, <laughs> and, and she's, you know, confessing to, you know seeing these visions or whatever and how they're evil and whatnot. And, and so, you know, like she's very upright and religious, but then you get, um, that pen was a Puritan, you know, so he right. was also a very devout person, it seems like, and, and, you know, even like, you know, talking about the, like he says, I get it. I was a Puritan, right. He gets, he gets the, uh, ascetic, uh, mm. you know, uh, or ascetic, you know, sort of, having to pay for your atonement mm -hmm. mentality, you know, like, because he, you know, Puritans are sort of known for their austerity, right? right? You know, and, and whatever. So it's, you know, there is that, that idea of like angels, angels, not only like picking, you know, p random people off the street, he's actively choosing sort of these almost ironic you know like you right. can almost see him being humored by the fact that he's taking these you know perhaps super right. devout like and, the, the and controlled people. yeah people but also then like yeah it's like there's also that you know maybe it's a trope maybe there is some actual psychological thing behind it of the you know the repressed sort of religious person being the one to also be like the serial killer or whatever, you know what I mean? Like he was such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Or like, you know, nobody suspects it's right. the priest right. or the, you know, the whatever. Um, right. Yeah. You know, so that kind of, so there is that, like you get that idea that there is a certain sort of sick yeah. humor in it. And so, you know, in, in Angelus doing that, you know, turning these specific people mm. uh, um, and we don't, I mean, again, Spike isn't the direct sire, but I mean, if, if sort of talking about, we don't know how many other, I guess, people out there right, or vampires out there might be the result of these direct sires that Angel did have. So yeah, like, right. there may be even more along the way. Yeah. Well, and on that theme too, that you get this idea of um, his whole little ritual of like carving you know the cross mm -hmm. into their face mm -hmm. and everything and um and angel immediately knows um that this is about mocking god which you know i imagine that's part of why he would target these people like and, and again right. there's a difference there i mean 
like we've talked so much about it and I think you can see the different levels of evil. Like there are the kind of average Joe demons who just want to get by and who aren't really doing anything wrong really. Or if it is, it's like petty, you know, like whatever. And then you get like Spike who is evil in the sense of like, he's out murdering and, you know, you know, hurting people intentionally, but like, Mm -hmm. For kind of no real reason. He's not a crusader of any kind. He doesn't really, he's not making a point. He just sort of enjoys it and is in for himself right. and everything. And it's sort of chaotic and everything. Which is almost worse in a way. You know, like <laughs> yeah, right. it, it is, it's right. just, he just There's likes no it. like real conviction. Yeah. And, yeah. So maybe to say that's less evil is not quite the same thing. But like, I mean, he's not like on like any, he's not, I don't think, is like a they're a demonic equivalent of like agnostic. Like I don't think Spike is like railing against God necessarily. He just right. doesn't seem to care much about like purpose or you know, those kinds of you know, he's not out there leaving messages, you know, and and toying with, you know, the police and and mocking anybody or whatever. Um it just seems like more random you know whereas like with angelus and then pen after him you get this like specific little ritual which is you know meant to be mocking of god so he targets you know like you said like the most you know devout and innocent and you know i guess like pure people that he can find and corrupts them and, you know, carves a cross into them and everything. So, you know, that sense that he, like, there's always something kind of ironic about the idea of, like, not to stereotype anybody, but, like, kind of the militant atheist or the the, the kind of, like, people who, C.S. Lewis said he was angry at God for not existing. There's something kind of, like, you know, the idea that Angelus and Penn are specifically mocking God. So they must kind of have some sort of belief in that there is a God to be mocked. Or at least maybe if not God, like, good. You know, there is goodness. And they're sort of railing against it and going to sort of leave their sign of protest, you know, or whatever. Um, so, I don't know. That, like, it just puts... They seem to have more of like a a mission, like a self-imposed kind of like they're going to leave their mark and, you know, do it in the nastiest way possible and everything. More so sure. than like Spike or the other vampires who just want to eat, really. Um, right. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I. Yeah, I would definitely agree that there's a certain sort of nefarious to their evil than sort of the average demon evil (laughs) um and that's not a controversial statement really but yeah no i yeah no it's all good but it's Um, just a reminder again like and and now i'm starting to get nervous because i like we're having what is worrying me as foreshadowing of like you mentioned like 
Cordy saying, if you turned, I would stake you. And I'm like, Cordy, don't make promises. Yeah. You know, like, no, right. if you say it, we didn't roll right well, it. You know, yeah. so it, it it's just another, it's not a controversial thing to say Angel is like, or Angelus was like super evil by comparison. But like, it's that reminder that like, he really he is. Way, like, yeah. like, this isn't just one of the threats. This is like one of the most hardcore threats out there. You know, that like when Kate finds out about vampires, you know, uh, maybe she's looking for stuff on Angel specifically, but like she doesn't have to research for too long before Angelus comes up. Like, it seems like his name is at the top of the list in like infamous vampires um, yeah. in history. And there's not, there's not like, like the people who wrote that stuff weren't big on retractions when he got cursed with a soul. Well, you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, it's like she didn't run across that part of it. No, no, <laughs> so. there's a lot of stuff that information that she's lacking, but like, yeah, that like, this is one of the big names in vampire history, you know? And, right. and this kind of, and don't you forget it kind of thing. I feel like, you know, it makes me a little yeah. worried. But well, but I think it's, it's a good reminder because you do get so used to Angel, you know, that it's easy to forget that he did all this stuff. Yeah. Like, Penn is evil, but Penn's just copying what Angel did. Like, Angel's the one who came up with that weird little ritual and everything. So, um, Yeah, and not even just copying what Angel did, but like, he can't even he can't even like apply that to new situations he's you find out that he's just repeating all of the kills that he had right. when he was with angel like angel recognizes the pattern which means there were kills that he was doing when angel was there so it's not even yeah. like it's not even like he's taking that and sort of making his own new pattern with it it's just right. like for hundreds of years he's just he like kills all the same people again yeah i mean not the same people but you know representations right. of those same people and then he just starts over it's right. like oh you know it's like he only has one book for 200 years right. and when he gets to the end of it he, he just starts over reading it one, again. yeah he he never thinks to read a new book to extend that metaphor further than it needed to be extended <laughs> um so yeah no i i you're right like it's this is just as as evil and as uh you know sad as it is that he's killing all these people again it's it really truly is angel's fault that you know he's the one who who set this up or at least angelus is i mean i guess mm. you can debate if angel with the soul has yeah. the same responsibility or not but definitely agree and i think you're absolutely right to be thinking along those lines of what if angel does lose his soul again you know where are we in that you know this this series is called Angel, but, you know, Angelus is still Angel in a way. So, you know, who knows where yeah. that may or may not go. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I think, uh, well, sort of with regard to Angel's character, the fact that, he, I mean, he thinks he's dreaming and then sort of realizes it's this connection. But we get that he enjoys those dreams. These are mm. not... These are, uh, maybe to be too crass, but these are wet dreams for Angel, you know, like, right. in a way. Like, these are enjoyable to him. These are not, 
nightmares for him from right. his perspective. Right. So, uh, you know, there's there's that sense of, you know, just because he's just because he's a va- I mean, he's, you know, tasted Buffy, uh, you know, to be healed you before and like you know almost drained her and yeah there's there's not there's no sense that just because he has a soul he doesn't still enjoy biting right you know what i mean like right. people i mean like yes he sort of maybe it's almost sort of like an addiction in a way like he's supplemented it by you know drinking pig's blood or whatever that he gets from right. the butcher market but that doesn't mean that he dislikes biting people or that, you know, these other activities that vampires normally engage in wouldn't appeal to him in some way, shape or form. It's just that now he's conscious and aware and has, has a conscience of, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that helps stay his fangs, so to speak. So, uh, I think it's good to sort of remember that this is in a way he's sort of like a trained animal more than a human being or I mean, Hey, some human beings are basically trained animals too. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, we could go down that metaphorical road much further as well if we wanted to, but I think that, that it's absolutely right to be thinking along all of those sort of lines and thinking that, in sort of the way Kate does, that mm-hmm. there's not uh, a whole lot of reason. Like, there's maybe just enough reason to let him keep going, but you still need to be cautious and prepared to stab him through the stomach at least with a big yeah, stick. No, and and I, I, you mentioned the scene where she doesn't let him in, um, which I thought was good. Like, it's it's you know, it, it's easy sometimes to. In a, get involved in a story and with a character who, because you see things from their perspective and you know, you know, that they're on the good side or their motives are good, then, then you, you feel sympathetic towards them and you kind of want people to, like, understand them and be nice to them and everything. But, mm-hmm. like, you kind of realize, like, she doesn't have a real reason to trust him at that point. She's absolutely right to not invite him in, you know, and... um you know, I think later when she sees that he does come there to fight for her, you know, and to fight Penn, it gives her more of an understanding that he really is not trying to trick her, you know, so you're glad when she deliberately misses and doesn't stake him. And, and it's good to see that she's at least cautiously trusting at this point. But um, But I like that, that they don't just have her, like, completely by him you know um without justification at first you know she really has given what she's learned um that seems like a perfectly reasonable reaction you know (laughs) to say like you know maybe i don't want to invite you into my house you know and uh and at least hold him at arm's length until she sees what whether the you know his actions are gonna like bear out his words and everything yeah yeah and i mean even if she's willing to sort of accept him in that moment in the fight and everything like Mm -hmm. she still hasn't invited him into her house (laughs) you know what i mean like like there's there's maybe 
still a boundary here that yeah. we're not going to let you pass. Which Literally, again is a reason the threshold of my house. <laughs> which again is a reasonable one, you know, that that's oh, yeah. like yeah. totally like, you know, inviting him in really does give him complete free access to, you know, putting her life yeah. in his hands, you know. Sure. Um, sure. I we've talked about that, you know, Buffy being to Buffy knows Angel way better than Kate does, you know, and I there were times where Buffy invited people in and I was like questioning whether she should be doing that. So, um I'm all for the for the cautious trust, but um yeah. The other thing which was kind of interesting about Pen too, which I wasn't quite sure how far to take it, but um when they do make the connection to him like the, the the sire and the fatherhood and everything and and you know angel says like you know like they talk about how he's so here's kind of the question um like pen becomes sort of obsessed with recreating this murder of his this like slaughter of his family that he's doing over mm-hmm. and over and over again um, so, you know, and then they kind of switch it, he switches it over to Angel that like, oh, you're right. Like I, I was trying to get back at my father, but I realized it's you. So now he's going to take down Angel as this whole, like, you know, anger at the father thing. And it kind of suggests some interesting things about how, like, again, that question of how much personality carries over from, uh, the human to the vampire that like. Yeah, I know Angel kind of sicks him on his own family, but I kind of get the sense that like maybe because of that repression or whatever, that that was something that was inside of him anyway. Like maybe as a human, he wasn't going to go crazy and kill his family, but like channeling some sort of anger that he had and that that's why he becomes obsessed and, and wants to recreate it because he has those like unresolved daddy issues um and then and and feels anger towards angel so it kind of like a couple things like made me question like okay how much of like the violence and the anger of the vampire is related to the the violence and the anger in the human you know like what kind of Mm. human trauma are they channeling into like all of that and then i guess too like the way he talks to angel about like you know, you made me, like, and kind of being angry. I I guess they could just be words, but he sounds almost like he's angry at Angel for making him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're the reason I am the way I am. It's your fault. And, sure. again, that question of, you know, we kind of accept that, An- that Angel feels remorse because of his soul, but... Could a vampire feel angry about being what he is? You know, like, does he really resent Angel? Because we mostly see vampires, like, unrepentant and, like, enjoying their evil. And that that's the difference between Angel and everybody else. But here we have a vampire who says that he's kind of getting revenge on Angel for having made him, you know, what he is. And it's kind of this question of, like... Okay, is that just like in the heat of the fight or 
is it possible for a vampire to feel angry and, you know, I guess guilty of being who and what they are? So, you know. That is a fantastic question. Which you can That I answer. feel Should needs be. more data, yeah. you know, before we can attempt to. Sure. But no, I would, and I would keep that in mind for both shows. Like, I think, and, and I'm not even like thinking of. That's not true. I would say that there are probably multiple characters who we could look at from that perspective, mm-hmm. as the episodes, uh, you know, in both shows sort of move forward and think about in in different ways how they how that plays out. Okay. But I think that's absolutely a great question. I think the the question of whether, you know, the fact that a vampire has a soul or not, you know, what do, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to not have a soul? Yeah. And does that necessarily mean the sort of evil things that, that are sort of always contributing to, or that are sort of always uh, attributed to vampires? Right. Uh, is that strictly due to having a soul or not and mm-hmm. and sort of vice versa i mean there are certainly we've seen humans who have done atrocious things yeah. i mean the mayor right was i mean at one point at least was human and then became you know something more than that yeah. and lived a long time and you know whatever but right. you know he's certainly started out as human and not and didn't get changed into like a vampire in the way of like you know someone else changed him he right. actively sought out you know, to become something different and demonic. So, you know, it's that blurring of the lines. It's like, you know, yeah. just just like some demons we've already seen can sort of be maybe not evil in the way that we always think of or even can be outright good, like Doyle, you know, who's sort of half human or whatever, like, or merely just average people, you know, like right. that all... Those are those lines blur the further that you get, uh, yeah, you know, into sort of the story. So, yeah, well, and I think Penn is interesting that way because he is one of the more brutal vampires that we've seen, but he's one of the ones who seems the most like the he's less sort of detached than some of the others. It seems like he's more like what we and maybe because they link him to all this kind of serial killer kind of imagery like it seems like his evil isn't necessarily just about being a vampire some of it is like basic mm-hmm. human messed up psychology you know yeah. so it kind of makes you wonder how different is he really you know from you know a, a human serial killer who who creates weird scenarios and repeats his fantasies and all that yeah. kind of thing so sure. it just it's an interesting character because it kind of does, even though he's one of the more kind of evil, I guess, in terms of like being doing crazy things, like he does blur the lines a little bit more than what we've seen, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and, and I'm sure you were perhaps thinking about this um, as you were sort of formulating, but we do get that um, in that earlier episode of Buffy when when sort of, uh, I forget who it is that starts saying, oh, you know, well, 
vampires don't actually have anything of the personality of their you know original person and angel sort of is like well strictly oh, speaking that's yeah. not and then they're like Shh, no yeah, shush. You know, like yeah this is not the time to bring that up right 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 <laughs> um, this is the time to bring that up yeah 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 because so, i think we've seen that that's vampires seem to be a twisting of that original personality but it seems that there are some elements which are in there you know it's like a it's more of a corruption of the personality than a erasing of it you know yeah but i would also point out that part of the theme of this episode is that people change yeah and sometimes they change back but people do change sure and so the question is is that also true of vampires? If they're retaining some of that original personality, mm-hmm. can that original can that personality that's been retained change mm-hmm. at all? Um, and I think that goes to your question of, you know, how do vampires act? Like, can they? Are they just sort of because they don't have a soul, you know, automatically evil and whatever? Or is there? Is there a way for them to not be that way? And if so, is that due to their original personality or is or can they change despite the original personality or despite their personality as a vampire? Well, it's interesting when you think that these shows are running in parallel, Buffy and Angel, because this totally informs the Spike plot, you know, like... There's Who is, like, of course, the exact person I'm trying not to name, but yes, okay. No. Um, no I can't I, help it. it absolutely, you know, it we absolutely don't have to talk no. about him a lot, but that's absolutely the question, right? Like, because Spike does not have a soul, yet we are seeing change. It might be forced change, or it might be, like, change due to circumstances, but mm-hmm. um, at least there's yeah. the potential for change. So no. I mean, 100, yeah. 100% Spike is who I was thinking of. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and trying not to say, but since you say his name, of course I'm going <laughs> to acknowledge th- acknowledge that because it's, you, you know, I mean, that is, that's a huge question of Spike's yeah. character throughout well, the rest of the freaking series. So, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. like it's not, and, and I'm not, it's not simple. Like none of this no. is simple. There's, you know, of course there's going to be, different interpretations and and ideas and no and and, and i like happen, but. i like the qualification that yes people change but they can change back too that that's not a one and done deal you're not right defined by any one choice you make in your life right. that it's that back to that idea of becoming right like it's a process and it's a yeah as long as you're alive you're going to keep changing and keep becoming something else um, that doesn't mean that you aren't responsible for your choices, but like, it's an ongoing process. And yeah. even if you change, you like, if you, if you, if you're angel and you've changed back to a hero, you have to be constantly vigilant that you don't change back, you know, because that potential is always there. Um, mm-hmm. and you're going to keep changing into something, you know? You try to make right. it into something good, but um, the the process is always there, I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think that uh, I think that 
that idea, like even broadening out beyond vampires, mm. is is a big part of both of these shows throughout yeah. their entire run. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely right to keep thinking about that. Uh, vampire, demon, human, other thing, you know, like all of those are sort of in the ball game when we when we're talking about change and yeah and and whether it's possible and how much you can do it and whether you can ever go back from it um yeah. one way or the other you know so very very good stuff um there is a sense so sort of last my last thought on pen i mean certainly if you have other stuff um there, you know, I do like how they sort of filled out his serial killer profile, you know, with him. So he like that whole sense of, you know, you made me this way is very much uh, a sort of serial killer trope. And I'm thinking of shows like Dexter and stuff. It's like, yeah. this is just the way that I am. And I, you know, have these urges and I can't help it. It has to be fulfilled in some way and and there is a compulsive element to it and an obsessive element to it you know with the collecting of the newspapers and putting them up and and you know even sort of angel's profile of him it's like you know he's sort of surprised by it but at the same time it's like it's exactly what you would expect of a person who does this sort of thing and the meticulousness of it you know and all of that and and the repetition and the sort of the 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 you know sort of going back to your comments about you know the mocking god and everything but yet there is a ritual to it almost a religiousness right. to and it and that's what i meant kind of know? by the irony of that like yeah. yeah there's something kind of not totally well more than a little not self-aware of of like you know his own irony of like the ritualistic element and everything yeah. and i loved how kate's profile fits for both yes. of them i love that oh yeah no that to- like the first <laughs> it's act, great it's great the first act of this episode is totally meant to make you think yeah that it's and, even, Angel. and even by then i think by then we knew i knew it wasn't but i just love how that little monologue that that definitely that monologue definitely happens before the reveal of pen does it yeah all right i'm remembering wrong then because uh Mm. you know what i could i i well at least i suspected by that point that it wasn't angel i'll say that i know i at least had a a hunch that it wasn't him even if i didn't know it for sure because it's definitely before he goes in and gives her the drawing okay of pen it's it's just it's her coming up with you know your typical you know, serial killer profile sort of thing. And, and she's talking about it because you're getting the inner cuts of angel walking down the street. And she's saying, you know, it's probably someone good looking, someone who just got out of a long relationship, someone, you know, who, uh, you know, this and that. So, um, and someone who may not remember it. And then it's right after that, that, um, angel comes in and says to Cordy and Wesley, I have no memories of this act. Okay. And, and, and Cordy's like, that's not exactly the, you know, denial right. we were looking for. Right. So, so these are all, I mean, even if 
I mean, maybe you think, no, there's got to be something going on here. It's yeah. definitely before the pen reveal okay. because it's after, it's after that that they chain him to the bed. He has the dream. Right. And then you realize there's this other guy okay. involved. Okay. Um, well, that's even, even like on like the second viewing then when I knew for sure it wasn't him. Like I still yeah. just love how that, how perfect. that does double duty there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Angel would fit you know, the profile of talking a about killer. talking about like you know self awareness and stuff like yeah. the fact that Kate doesn't even realize like right. she doesn't even suspect right. at that point that it could be him right uh, but it definitely yeah definitely fits him to a T yeah um, which you no. know then you go back to well maybe some of those profiles are just way too generic anyway like they could fit you sure. could make it fit anyone but. Uh, no, it does seem to be pretty good description of them both. Yeah. Well, and it and if I mean not only does it fit Angel specifically for what we know about him, but it feels plausible as a generic, you know, serial killer. Like oh, yeah. I don't know whether this is the the standard profile, but like it feels like it could be. Like even though it's all so specific to Angel, there's nothing in it that's so specific that you're like, well, that's implausible. Like, it actually feels like, you know, this mm-hmm. probably is kind of a fairly typical profile. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Single white male thinks of himself as, you know, better than human, you know, loner scorned by whoever he was obsessed with like that all sounds like the kind of thing which would make sense you know so it kind of makes you realize angel does kind of fit the profile (laughs) it's just like a little disturbing but yeah 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 um anyway so yeah so yeah we should probably finish out talking about kate too because we talked a little bit about her like with the whole not inviting him in and stuff, but also like, um, I like that. She's not just like, yes, she has sort of trouble coming to terms with it, but at the same time, like, you know, okay. When they go, you know, she goes to the courthouse and, you know, they're talking about, uh, meeting up or not meeting up, but searching for pen and whatever. And he turns out to be there and grabs her and they go down. Like you find out that she's actually like, ready for him like she hasn't yeah even though it might be weird and preposterous or whatever like she does get to that point where like you know she has the holy water in her pocket yeah. you know what i mean like and they kind of, like this isn't this isn't like helpless she's damsel in distress yeah. Yeah. you know kind of thing and not that i mean she's a cop you know she's capable we've seen her running after people and chasing them down and shooting them and stuff before so it's not like we would necessarily think that anyway yeah. but I do like that even sort of with this new information, she does sort of apply her common sense cop instinct to it. And, you know, she goes prepared. She's, she knows this isn't someone who, I mean, she's already tried to shoot him. Right. So she knows that's not by itself going to be enough again. Um, Yeah. No. And, and yeah, we've had that before too, where like, it's not like she's, suddenly able to like take him on like clearly like she can't really fight him too effectively but that doesn't necessarily i mean that's just because he's supernatural and she's not like she's still prepared she still mm-hmm. gives it a go and does the best she can and right. everything and she will fight him and even will if fight she him. doesn't think she'll succeed and and 
does effectively, like, you know, make a difference, obviously. Like, she has the holy water, and she gets the beam and, you know, does end up staking him in the end. So she's certainly capable. Um, yeah. And, yeah. No. It's good. No, and there is that kind of moment of, oh, my God, is she is she going to stab him? Or did she just, you know, did she stake angels? I mean, I, I think I was pretty sure Angel wasn't going to get dusted in this episode. But, like, there's that, there is that moment of when she stabs and you think, what? going to happen next you know so that was a pretty effective mm. um right effective moment for her yeah yeah um so now of course you know we had just and of course there's such a contrast right of you know talking about things changing like between the beginning of the episode where you know, she's like, well, I'm not supposed to do this for anything, but since it's you, Angel, you're special. And kind of the flirtiness of, you yeah. know, the, oh, you know, the dark, broody thing's working for you, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And all of that. But, um, you know, now there's this breach of trust, basically, that, uh, yeah, you know, that she has to deal with and, and not quite sure where that, you know, kind of by the end, like, okay she does come to sort of trust him again in a way, but not, it's, it's changed. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, you know, don't know where that's necessarily going to go, but we can yeah, sort of we'll watch that because I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, we're going to see Kate again. It's, I don't sure. think that's a surprise in any way, but just, uh, not, not necessarily sure how that'll affect their relationship and what that'll do. Yeah. Interesting that uh, Kate is learning about Angel around the same time that Buffy and Riley are learning about each other. I just was reminded of, like, yeah. there's a similar kind of breach of trust in the sense of realizing that th this person that you thought you knew has this kind of whole other... I mean, now, and she and Angel weren't ever really involved. And she knew he was kind of mysterious, so it's not like she, you know thought she knew everything about him or anything but similar kind of like revelation moment there right and i would point out so like um i believe so this is the 11th uh episode of angel and i want to say that this is um yeah this is we're coming right back this is the like the first january episode after having taken a month off okay of so like hush and parting gifts are like the mid-season finale okay. sort of thing it's to put it in like modern tv terms yeah. they didn't really call it that then but right um that you know those are the mid-season finale ones you know middle of december all right and then they take a month off and so then we come back with doomed and buffy yeah um and some nambulist you know here so like I agree like from it, it is interesting to sort of see parallels between the two but also there's sort of like from a seasonal arc you know this is this is the 11th episode this of 22 so we're at the halfway right. point right so this is sort of the mid-season twist points, yeah. that yeah that you know is gonna sort of project the rest of the season yeah uh you know forward yeah. so um that's the sort of you know 
backroom writing technical yeah. explanation, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, for why. But why we but get yeah, from stuff a, in this episode, yeah. From a character perspective, it absolutely is interesting and, and it it changes relationships and we'll get to see how that changes. Yeah. So uh we will see that. Um I'm mindful of the fact that we went a little short on the Doctor Who episodes, so I don't know how much more you have here, but we've been talking for like almost an hour. Uh, what else did you want to hit on? Um, Cordy and Wesley, I think, are we didn't really touch a lot on. A little no. bit about Cordy and Angel no, together. but I mean, yeah, the Cordy-Angel moment at the end is great. Um, I like her description of the the bone-crunching, mind-splitting vision headache. Like how yeah. kind of cheerfully annoyed she is at the... Like, that this is now this affliction she has to deal with. Right. Um, like, but she's also sort of resigned to it. Like yeah, she's not yeah. trying to get rid of it. No, anymore. no. She's sort of like, you know, yeah, she's putting up with it. Um, but, and I mean, the other main thing I really liked with her was that reminder of her kind of practicality of like, she is loyal. She doesn't want to hear Wesley say bad things about Angel, but if she actually thought Angel had turned, she'd stake him in an instant, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the kind of, yeah, I just like that kind of two-toned aspect of her and everything. Um, yeah. And, you know, yep. great moment, too, where she's giving up all of his information about Kate, and then, like, as she's doing it, realizes, you're totally mm-hmm. pumping me for information, mm-hmm. aren't you? <laughs> yeah um oh yeah kate detective lockley yeah <laughs> yep no that's that's you're, a fun you're apt people and, guy yeah and and you get the set like she's uh also i, I like that she's using her sort of actress skills you know as her um yeah you know to give her pitch for the business so right yeah. we see her practicing, sort of practicing yeah. in the beginning the and then um you know saying the same thing when she actually has a client or yeah. who she thinks is going to be a client right. sitting in front of her. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes a smart ass rogue demon hunter though. <laughs> uh, and uh, so Wesley, okay. Um, still sort of ostensibly being his rogue demon hunter self. Right. Uh, but also bringing comes, in the mail. <laughs> yeah. He's bringing in the mail and he comes you know, it, like it's his excuse, right? Oh, I've come to compare battle plans from our yeah. respective fronts, and he has nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and Cordy's like, "Yeah, why don't you come back when you got something for us?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the the like, yeah, he's not well, and we see like later, like you know, he's sort of out beating the street, you know asking around about Penn only to walk in and realize that he's there and gets, you know, yeah. Momentarily taken. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's that, you know, one step behind everyone else aspect of Wesley. Like even, even his, he's still not up to Giles levels of, you know, or even like Willow levels of like research. (laughs) He's like everyone, he's supposed to be like the research guy and everyone else is, way ahead of him a and, step ahead and, of you him, know yeah. on the uptake and everything um, um and there were a couple good funny bits i like that he has a folder marked angel <laughs> like just like i he would have everything like organized in sort of file folders right. and like right meticulously you know 
labeled and everything. Um, yeah. And hilarious. And you wonder how oh, long sorry, it took ahead. him. No, I was just going to say, you, you have to wonder how long it took him to compile that too. Like, right. Given that he's not the best researcher necessarily. Right, right. Like it must have taken him some decent amount of time. Yeah. Um, I also loved the, that weird joke about Lady Hamilton's virtue and Cordy's, I don't, that's okay. I didn't know what that meant. Like, cause yeah, I didn't like, know what that meant either. Um, and that made it even funnier. So the fact that right. I had to go and look that up, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is no, apparently I, a joke about her poverty. Like he feels, I guess this was like a person who married into nobility and then lost everything and died in sort of poverty. So he makes this joke and then feels bad because Cordy doesn't have any money. So he feels like she's going to be upset. Like, he was making fun of her. And, of course, nobody has any idea what he's talking about. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, and her just willingness other... to say, like, I'm not offended because I have no idea yeah, that, what you're talking about. that's okay. I don't yeah. even know what that means. Yeah. Um, the other hilarious Wesley moment is when he jumps through Penn's door and invites Angel in. Right, yeah. And Angel's like, relax, that's only for humans. <laughs> <laughs> breaking and entering another vampire there just isn't a problem yeah I, I like that we keep getting these little yeah though like these little twists on sort of the vampire mythology though right because like we saw that with cordy's apartment where she like preemptively had invited him so right, right. like, like come once over she sometime. gets it yeah. yeah yeah once she actually gets the apartment he's already invited in so he doesn't need to yeah. not be invited yeah or like here i mean it makes sense like but you wouldn't necessarily think about it you know, why can he walk through this door? Well, it's a vampire lair. It's not, yeah. you know, even though it's an apartment. Right, like they can enter not, their own buildings and everything, it, yeah. Yeah, it's not inhabited by a human yeah. or anything. Or even, like, if it were uninhabited completely, like, right. presumably he could just go in. Right. Um, so, like, you do get these sort of, like, like they're, like, filling out sort of the the stuff that doesn't really get filled out the in the traditional lore. Yeah. yeah, like, the nuances and sort of the modern. Yeah twists and that kind of thing yeah and wesley's a great tool for that because he is yeah. just ridiculous <laughs> so you can have him do stupid things and then have yeah. people correct him and it's yeah. funny he's definitely a tool uh anyway in more than so. one sense <laughs> indeed um so yeah so overall like i said i mean this is this is probably one of my favorite episodes in the season if if not the series um mm -hmm. you know shocker given who wrote it and all of that. But right. no, I think I do like that it's put together. I, I like the sort of twist. And, and I mean, it's not surprising that there is going to be sort of effects of um, the Kate stuff, you know, down the road too. So, yeah. you know, it sets up some interesting uh, stuff for that as well. Yeah. Um, cool. But cool. yeah, anyway, I guess, uh, I guess we'll leave it there. Unless you have any final stuff you want to talk about. Uh, I think we're good. Cool. All right. Well, then we'll be back next week with another episode of Angel. Or, sorry, an episode of Buffy and another episode of Doctor Who. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.